Welcome to another Griffith University podcast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get started, I think. Let me uh, welcome you to this um, Griffith Asia Institute Perspectives on Asia seminar. I'm uh, Michael Powell. I'm the Pro Vice-Chancellor of the Business Group at uh, Griffith University. I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet uh, today. And I also want to uh, give a special welcome to Senator Russell Trude, who's taking time out to join us uh, at this, um, in the seminar tonight. A very special welcome to our special guests tonight uh, at the seminar. Our speaker and uh, lecturer will be His Excellency, Dr. Kim Woo-san, uh, who's Ambassador Extraordinary and Plenipotentiary of the Republic of Korea. He tells us he's been in, in uh, Canberra for two years and has enjoyed his time there. And I'd also like to welcome his wife, uh, Mrs. Moon Yong-kan Kwan, who is with us also tonight. Welcome uh, tonight. Uh, our Vice-Chancellor, Professor Ian O'Connor, sends his apologies. He would have liked to have been here, but unfortunately he's, he's out of uh, he's interstate and unable to be here tonight. So he does send his apologies, and uh, he has met Dr. Kim on a number of occasions in the past and would have liked to have joined us, joined us tonight. I would like to uh, comment a little bit on the success of this series. Many of you may be regulars here, and we do appreciate your support for the series. I think it's been a very successful series over the uh, past months, this year and past years as well, and we hope it continues into the future. It's uh, very interesting uh, ideas and, and uh, updates that are uh, contributed to, to us and brought by speakers, visiting speakers, and some of our own academic staff here at the uh, Griffith Asia Institute Perspectives on Asia Seminar. The Republic of Korea, of course, is not only a very important ally and partner, and friend of Australia, but it also occupies a very special place, may I say it, uh, with Griffith University. Uh, we host a Centre for Korea Studies, which is directed by Professor Yul Kwan, and he sends his apologies. He would have liked to have been here. And through that Centre, we retain very close ties with uh, Korean universities and Korean research institutes. Um, we're privileged to host a large number, a considerable number, of Korean students at Griffith University, and they're delightful students, and we enjoy and appreciate and value having them uh, as our guests at, at uh, Griffith University. We have strong partnerships with uh, leading Korean universities. I'm actually wearing tonight a tie from Korea University, and I wanted to apologize to His Excellency, who is a professor at Yonsei. And those of you who know uh, Korea well will know in Seoul there are three very strong universities, uh, uh, Seoul National, Yonsei, and uh, Korea University, and they're very competitive. <laughs> but we do welcome you from Yonsei, and hopefully we can build a close relationship with Yonsei also. Uh, in addition, we send every year six to eight students um, of our best students to Korea on internships, and they work with Korean organizations and Korean businesses. Uh, Yul Kwan, Professor Kwan, is the, uh, organizes that, and it's a really great program. The students have uh, excellent exposure to uh, business in Korea, Korean language, Korean culture, and come back and share that experience with the students at Griffith. So we do have a very strong and special connection to Korea, and uh, so it's a special pleasure to welcome His Excellency here tonight. Uh, I'm going to hand over to the director of the Griffith Asia Institute, Professor Andrew O'Neill, to introduce our speaker, but I did want to welcome you, and uh, once again, uh, thank you for coming tonight, and we do look forward to what... Um, his Excellency has to say to us tonight. Thank you. 
Thank you, Michael. Well, welcome uh, this evening to uh, a very exciting uh, Perspectives Asia presentation. For nearly 1,300 years, until the middle of the 20th century, Korea developed as a unified country under a single administration with a distinctive language and strong traditions. From a long-term historical perspective, therefore, a divided Korea is actually an anomaly. Yet the formal division between South and North persists in the early part of the 21st century, and recent events, most notably uh, the tragic sink sinking of uh, the uh, naval vessels, the Chiangnan, unfortunately confirm that the Korean Peninsula remains one of Asia's uh, hottest security uh, spots. While the Korean War ended in 1953, Seoul and Pyongyang are still technically uh, at war, bound only by an armistice with no peace settlement having yet been reached. However, anyone who's uh, visited Korea will attest to the fact that a unique form of Korean nationalism remains as powerful as ever and continues to transcend recently imported political ideologies from Europe. One of the dominant features of the post-Korean uh, post uh, war period was the speed with which the Republic of Korea surpassed North Korea in its national development. As one of Asia's most vibrant tiger economies from the 1960s until the 1990s, the pace of South Korea's economic growth was remarkable. The rapid expansion of the country's manufacturing sector, uh, coupled with an export-led development strategy, yielded sustained economic growth for a prolonged period. South Korea's rapid recovery from the Asian economic crisis of the 1990s was stark testimony to the resilience of the South Korean people. Today, South Korea is Asia's fourth and the world's twelfth largest economy. It's a major player diplomatically on the international stage. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon is a former South Korean foreign minister. And South Korea is a world leader in biotechnology, robotics and, of course, education. As two of Asia's leading middle powers, the Republic of Korea and Australia, have an increasingly close relationship, which has gone from strength to strength under the current South Korean President uh, Lee Myung-bak. The two countries uh, have many shared interests in Asia. The need to maintain a rules-based regional order, the promotion of greater economic inter interdependence, and sustaining positive engagement with the region's two great powers, the US and China. For Australia, South Korea is a key partner in Asia. Its importance for Australia in political, economic and security terms will continue to increase in the 21st century. Nevertheless, it's a relationship that needs careful nurturing in the coming years. Investment flows between the two countries, the most intimate form of economic exchange, are surprisingly low. And the patchy study of Korean language in Australia, as well as the low number of Australian students travelling to South Korea to study, remains of concern. Griffith Asia Institute stands ready to do all it can to help promote uh, the importance of the bilateral relationship between South Korea and Australia. Therefore, it gives me great pleasure this evening to introduce uh, our very special guest, uh, South Korea's ambassador to Australia, Dr. Kim uh, Woo-sung. Michael has uh, already recounted uh, some of Dr. Kim's background. Uh, he received his PhD in political science from the University of Rochester in the US, uh, and he's uh, researched and taught security, foreign policy, and international politics for 20 years, uh, including uh, stints at the Hoover Institution at Stanford, Texas A&M, 
uh, and of course at Yonsei University in Seoul. Dr Kim was appointed as the Republic of Korea's ambassador to Australia in May 2008 and tonight he'll be presenting on the topic of Korea and Australia middle power cooperation. So please join with me in, in, in welcoming Dr Kim. Thank you very much, Andrew, for your succinct summary of uh, Korean history in, in about uh, two minutes. That was great. Pro Vice Chancellor Michael Powell, and Professor Andrew O'Neill, Senator Russell Trude, uh, Professor Roy Webb, the former uh, Vice Chancellor, and uh, Mr. Kim Jong-un, President of the Korean Society of Queensland, and distinguished guests, and uh, ladies and gentlemen. About, about 15 years ago, I had an opportunity to participate in a, in a seminar, actually uh, organized by the Griffiths University. At that time, as professors, Russell Trude, Senator Russell Trude, and uh, I had engaged in discussion on human security, I remember. Uh, now today, Senator Russell Trude and I as an ambassador get together here again and has a chance to discuss about uh, uh, bilateral relations. And I'm really, uh, I really appreciate uh, Senator Truth, my dear friend, to be here tonight, uh, although he must be very busy campaigning for the uh, coming election. Uh, because I'm the government official, I have to be neutral, so I cannot support you, <laughs> but um, I thank you very much for you uh, to be here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very pleased to join all of you today at this seminar hosted by Griffith Asia Institute and the Kingsland Art Gallery. I'd like to express my sincere gratitude to uh, Pro Vice Chancellor Michael Powell and uh, Director Andrew O'Neill and the staff members for providing me with an opportunity to speak about Korea-Australia relations and the importance of the cooperation between our two middle powers. Today's event is very meaningful considering the cooperation between our two countries have been developing very rapidly in all areas during the past few years. It is also very timely since Australia very recently had a leadership change and expect the general election uh, about, about, two weeks, right? about two weeks from now. Our bilateral relationship has been very strong since Australian young men and women fought for the freedom and democracy of the Republic of Korea 60 years ago. And the two countries established these diplomatic ties 50 years ago. Our long-standing strong bilateral economic and trade relationship has recently been upgraded. And now the two countries begin to enjoy strong security and defense cooperation as well as upgraded political cooperation in many bilateral and multilateral areas. President Lee Myung-bak congratulated the new Prime Minister Julia Gillard and expressed his willingness to maintain recently upgraded bilateral ties for years to come. In fact, to make sure that the two governments keep these already upgraded relations for as long as we can, no matter who becomes the leader in each country and when, it is rather urgent for us to come up with some institutional measures 
to maintain and even improve the already upgraded bilateral ties under the leadership of the former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd and the President Im Young Bak. Next year, 2011, marks the 50th anniversary of the establishment of bilateral diplomatic relations, and this year is the 60th anniversary of the outbreak of the Korean War. As you know, Korea and Australia have an enduring friendship built on a solid foundation. On June 25, 1950, when Korean War commenced with a surprise aggression by the communist North Korea, 17,000 young Australian men and women were among the first with the United States under the UN flag to defend the freedom and democracy of our young country, the Republic of Korea. The noble sacrifices of the Australian soldiers, particularly 339 heroes who bravely sacrificed their lives are long and vividly remembered in the minds and hearts of the Korean people. Had it not been for their contribution, the Republic of Korea would not have been uh, what it is today. After the Korean War, the Korean people's vibrant spirit and educational aspiration made possible its rapid industrialization and educate, uh, uh, the, the so-called miracle of the Han River, which led Korea from a $200 per capita GDP to a more than 20,000 US dollar one within 40 years, with world leading high tech and heavy industries, including shipping and automobile industries. At the same time, Korea has also successfully overcome the painful process of democratization. And now, the Republic of Korea exports its two proud models of industrialization and democratization to developing countries around the world. Last November, Korea joined the OECD Development Assistance Committee, becoming the only country that has turned from an official development assistance recipient to a donor. With experience attained during the 1997 Asian financial crisis, our strong economic, especially banking fundamentals, help our economy now to be one of the fastest recovering economies in the world. Now, in the 21st century, the Republic of Korea and Australia are moving toward new direction of middle power cooperation. Indeed, Korea and Australia are typical middle powers. Both countries satisfy, uh, based on my definition of uh, middle power uh, criteria, uh, I come up with three uh, criteria of middle power. One is economic and military capabilities. Uh, second, geostrategic location. And third, the level of engagement in regional and world affairs. The economic sizes of Korea and Australia are about the same, and they are representatives of emerging economies in the world. Korea's per capita GDP is over 20,000 US dollars with a population size of about 50 million people. Uh, Australia per capita GDP is about $50,000 with a population of around 22 million. So Korea and Australia are thus uh, uh, two of the 10th to 15th largest economies in the world based on uh, currency uh, change rate. The Korean military is one of the five 
superb militaries in the world, borrowing John Henry's remark. John Henry is the president of the CSIS, Center for Strategic and International Studies at Washington, D.C. Uh, with 650,000 military personnel and about $25 billion in defense spending in 2009. Australia has about 52,000 uni uni uniformed personnel, but spend about the same uh, amount of money in defense. So the national capabilities of the two countries can be very influential. Both countries are also in geostrategically critical location. Korea is surrounded by four great powers, China, Russia, Japan, and the United States' sphere of influence. Australia has abundant natural resources, including uranium, oil, gas, coal, iron ore, to name a few. No one great power neighbor would like to see the other great power to be dominant in the Korean Peninsula. Likewise, one country's dominance in the purchase of the mineral resources from Australia would not be welcomed. In addition, I believe that Korea and Australia have been willing to engage in regional and world affairs by raising our voices on human security issues, such as the world financial crisis, sustainable development, climate change, non-proliferation, human rights, natural disaster, refugees, the PKO activities. As two classic middle powers, sharing common values of democracy, market economy, and human rights, we share common strategies in pursuing foreign policy goals as well. Both countries maintain strong military alliance ties with the United States, increase the level of engagement with Asia-Pacific countries, and, pay and play more constructive roles in international arenas through the United Nations and other multilateral institutions. As a matter of fact, the role of middle powers in regional and international politics is increasing rapidly. There are some roles that great powers cannot or are not suitable to play. Great powers may unnecessarily intimidate neighbors, small powers, or concerned parties. In those cases, middle powers' leadership in agenda setting in multilateral meetings, their mediation and honest vocal role in the management of collective goods, for example, can be very well respected. In fact, as long as leaders of the two countries have the will to do so, Korea and Australia can play the creative and middle power role together in the Asia-Pacific region. In 1989, when APEC was established, then Prime Minister Bob Hawke and uh, then uh, President Rote Wu, they are the, uh, the key players who have been establishing the APEC. Recently, our two countries have been doing it again. Korea and Australia together have played a crucial role in letting the voices of the emerging economies be heard by G8 great powers in dealing with the current global financial crisis at the G20 meetings. Before and during the G20 summit meetings, our two countries cooperated very well. President Lee Myung-bak and former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd talked over telephone several times and held several bilateral meetings during the G20 meetings. The two leaders discussed strategies to deal with the financial crisis issues and to make the G20, not G8, nor G13 or G14, 
the legitimate institution to discuss financial crisis issues in which emerging economies with precious previous experiences can take part. The upgraded middle power cooperation was highlighted at the Pittsburgh G20 summit last September, during which time our two countries very successfully cooperated to promote the summit as the world's premier forum for international financial cooperation. Our two countries will surely play the pivotal middle power roles in the upcoming G20 summit in Seoul in November this year by participating in setting the agenda for the summit meeting. I further expect that the two middle power leaders will lead on other human security issues such as climate change. As a matter of fact, Korea already has an innovative policy to address climate change. In November 2009, Korea, one of the non-Annex One parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, announced its midterm greenhouse gas reduction goal by 2020, which will cut greenhouse gas emissions by 30% from its business, usual, business as usual emissions. It was a unilateral and voluntary mitigation action to be undertaken without any foreign support. The Korean government implements low carbon green growth as a new national development paradigm to create an economic growth engine and to effectively respond to climate change. This initiative is making progress through a collaborative process involving government, industry, academia, and civil society. In particular, major Korean companies, including Samsung, LG, POSCO, uh, SK, Hyundai, have decided to actively participate in green growth industry. The Korean government further established the Global Green Growth Institute last June. President Lee Myung-bak promised to provide full assistance for the newly established institute to form a global network and to be developed into a full-fledged international organization by 2012. We hope that the institute can serve as a base for the development and spread of green technology in the international community. Ladies and gentlemen, since I arrived in Canberra in May 2008, at the government-to-government -government level, our bilateral relations have been stronger than ever before. During my tenure as an ambassador, if I remember correctly, there were eight summit meetings between two leaders and nine uh, telephone calls between former Prime Minister Rudd and uh, uh, President Myung-bang. And we also had a frequent uh, foreign and trade ministerial meetings. These meetings are particularly demonstrative of the upgraded bilateral relationship between our two countries. Our two nations are on a promising path towards a strong, cooperative, and mutually beneficial economic relationship. Two-way trade between Korea and Australia is experiencing substantial growth from about 10 billion U.S. dollars uh, in 2004 to 23 billion dollars in 2008. That means the trade volume has more than doubled in past four years. Although the trade volume in 2009 decreased to about 20 billion because of the world financial crisis, Korea is Australia's third largest exporting market and fourth largest trading partner. Korea and Australia share a com complementary trade relationship. 
Korean companies, Hyundai and Kia Motors, Samsung and LG, export manufactured products, including automobiles, mobile phones, and digital electronic products to Australia. Other Korean companies, such as POSCO, the Korean Resource Corporation, and SK Energy import a huge amount of resources, such as coal, iron ore, petroleum, natural gas, which contributes to Korea's sustained economic development. Actually, about one-third of what we consume at home about mineral resources are imported from Australia alone. Last year, coal gas, the world's largest, biggest LNG buyer, signed a preliminary agreement to purchase 1.5 million tons a year for 15 years from the Gorgon LNG project starting from 2014. In regards to Gorgon LNG project, Hyundai Heavy Industry, the world's biggest shipbuilder, will build modules for LNG plant for the Gorgon project by 2013. This kind of commercial cooperation sets a good example for our future economic relationship. In Queensland, Cogas recently signed a preliminary agreement with uh, one of the Australian companies to purchase a considerable amount of uh, coal seam gas from a Gladstone LNG project. Actually, if the deal becomes set up, then uh, the Gladstone LNG project will be more than you know, double size of the Gorgon project that we buy from Western Australia. On the basis of the fast growth of the two-way trade and mutually complementary trade relationship, the bilateral trade, uh, free trade agreement negotiations was launched in May last year. The two governments have already held five rounds of FTA negotiations. If we work hard and take into due consideration our mutual interests and sensitivities, such as Korea's agricultural sector and Australia's automobile industry, I believe we can conclude with a win-win FTA in a very near future. In March 2009, when President Lee Myung-bak visited Canberra, two leaders announced a joint statement on enhanced global and security cooperation. Since then, the two countries have become more active on security and defense cooperation as well. On March 26 this year, the North Korean regime torpedoed one of South Korea's naval uh, corvettes, killing 46 South Korean soldiers. That attack violated UN Charter and the 1953 Korean Armistice Agreement. The Kim Jong-il regime's provocation cannot be allowed to pass without appropriate responses by the international community. The Australian government has been very cooperative in providing strong support in the course of responding to the North's provocation. At the investigation stage, Australia dispatched five Navy officers to join the international investigation team. Right after the result of the investigation came out 20th of May, both then Prime Minister Kevin Rudd and opposition leader Tony Abbott during a parliamentary uh, session strongly condemned the North's provocation. These demonstrate our close cooperation on security matters. Recently, bilateral people-to-people -people exchanges have also increased remarkably. In 2008, about 260,000 Korean tourists visited Australia, ranking uh, the sixth largest inbound country to Australia. 
Most of them, I believe, had a chance to visit uh, Queensland, especially Brisbane and uh, Gold Coast area. The number of the Korean students studying in Australia uh, is about 300, uh, uh, no, about 35,000. And we have about 40,000 working holiday visa students uh, studying and experiencing multicultural aspect here in Australia. So uh, about uh, student-wise, we are third largest next to China and India. And for working holiday visa student, we are almost number one, almost together with the United Kingdom. And uh, our Korean-Australian community, the size already exceeded uh, 100,000. I think we estimate about 120,000. And here in Brisbane, this area, uh, I estimate about 20,000. 20, but uh, President Kim said it's a little bit less than that. However, it is unfortunate that not many Australians seem to know much about Korea. Even if they know about Korea, they often regard Korea either as a still developing country or as a divided poor country with a North Korean nuclear threat. Not many Australians know about Korea's recent economic development. Uh, I don't know how many of you have a chance to visit Korea, but we have a, a beautiful uh, four seasons. During the summer, it's very hot. Right now, it's summer. It's over 30, 35 degrees. And during the winter, we have a minus 10, minus 15 degrees, and we have a lot of snow. So we have a beautiful ski resort, you know, you know affordable price. I know that many Australian, you know, young, young kids, uh, you know, the college and university students visit uh, uh, Japan for skiing. But uh, you, you can find out. You'll find out if you visit, you know. Much better price with the same quality uh, resort. But not many people know about this. In Seoul City, 24 hours, you, know, you can hang around without speaking uh, Korean at all, safely. You, know, you, you can take a taxi or a subway. There's a nightclubs or you know, pubs or you know, cafes all over. So kids or, uh, you know, I mean, if, if uh, uh, you visit, there's a beautiful shopping places you know, for, for ladies and you know, many places to go. But, but not many Australian people seem to know about all these. They do not know the Korea's unique culture and traditions either. We have about 5,000 years of history. For example, in 13th century, Koreans invented metal type printing for the first time in the world, about 250 years before Gutenberg. In 15th century, uh, Hangul, the phonetic alphabet with only 24 consonants and vowels, was invented. Hangul, one of the world's most efficient alphabets, is very different from Chinese or Japanese characters, but not many Australians seem to know about the differences. And, I mean, learning Korean will take time, but the writing your name, for example, you can do it maybe in, in, in 20 minutes, because we have only 24 alphabets, the phonetic alphabet. In recent years, Australian interest in Northeast Asia has been increasing, but it seems to be heavily focused on Japan and China. Many intellectuals in Australia talk about the rise of China and its potential impacts on Australian society. But I hardly recall scholars or political leaders publicly pinpoint the importance of Korea as Australia's future middle power partner. Many primary, secondary, and tertiary schools in Australia are teaching Japanese and Chinese, but not many, Kore uh, not many provide a Korean studies program. By last year's figure, 
around 90,000 Australians visit Korea, but only less than 100 Australian students are studying in Korea. I, I just found out that uh, Griffith University sent about six, seven uh, interns every uh, semester. That's an amazing number. And if I can provide anything, maybe I, I can even provide a name, you know, Korean Ambassador Internship Program or something, you know. Because <laughs> when I had a chance to visit the Deakin University about a year ago, Vice Chancellor Sally Walker, right after she talked uh, uh, with me, she decided to uh, set up Korean Ambassador Scholarship. And uh, uh, the deal was that uh, whenever she come up with money and uh, give, it to, uh, give, the, give scholarship to the student, then I visit uh, Deakin University and uh, present that to a student. And uh, they can use my, you know, the Korean uh, Ambassador Scholarship name. So I said, well, that's a very good deal. So we did it. And about four months later, she really carried out. And uh, the first uh, student, uh, the, actually the male student, went to Iwa Women's University. And uh, yeah, he uh, studied uh, one semester at uh, Iwa Women's University. So I think that uh, the Griffiths University's leadership, I think, is a very uh, encouraging uh, news. And uh, if there is any way I can help, please let me know. For continued successful future cooperation, both sides need to breed more experts for the other society. Korea needs more scholars, experts, and businessmen who know more about Australian society. Likewise, Australia needs more specialists on Korea who can speak the Korean language and understand its history and culture. Before it is too late, Leaders and elites in this society have to come up with a raison d'etre for middle power cooperation between the two countries and make the strategic decisions to produce more experts. For example, if Australia has concerns about the potential change of the power distribution among great powers in the region, Korea can be a strategic partner to Australia in discussing the issue since Korea is another middle power located between Japan and China. The splendid development of the recent uh, relationship in all areas between our two countries must have been mainly due to the commonly shared vision of the middle power cooperation between the leaders of two countries and maybe a little bit of my work in <laughs> recent two years. Now, both sides must figure out the formidable logic to share the vision for bilateral middle power cooperation in the Asia-Pacific. In addition, our two governments need to support the institutionalization of the various exchanges in all fields to maintain this trend of cooperation in the future, lest any possible changes in the two governments would weaken this trend. In March last year, President Lee Myung-bak and then Prime Minister Kevin Rudd agreed to set up the regular 1.5-track Korea-Australia dialogue in which leaders in the parliament, government, business, universities, and mass media from both sides participate. The first dialogue was held in Seoul in May this year, and uh, my dear friend, uh, Senator Russell Trude, participated in the meeting. We also have the Korea-Australia Leadership Forum and the Korea-Australia Business Council meeting. These meetings must go on on a regular basis. I also hope to see more regular academic exchanges to be set up and go on. We can also think of bilateral university student forum and middle school student exchanges program. 
as one of the university exchange programs, uh, real-time video lecture courses can be offered to, for example, uh, Griffiths University of Queensland students and the Seoul National and Korea University yeah. and Yonsei universities. Yeah. Institutionalizing these forums and programs, however, needs strong leadership in both societies, which understands the importance of the strategic bilateral middle power partnership. This year, marking the 60th anniversary of the Korean War, my government is holding various events to offer our warmest gratitude and deepest respect to our allies, including Australia. We are inviting Korean War veterans from 16 countries and their families to Korea through revisit programs. A personal appreciation letter by President Im Myung-bak was forwarded to Korean War veterans. And right now I'm receiving many letters, personal letters from uh, uh, Australian Korean War veterans who uh, you know, say thank you. They are impressed by President uh, Lee's personal letter to, to themselves. President Lee's thank you message was also printed in the, uh, in the newspapers and thank you posters made by the Korean government are also posted nationwide in, in Australia. I have heard that Korean War is often mentioned as a forgotten war among many Australian people. However, the noble sacrifices and contributions of the Australian soldiers cannot be forgotten forever. I hope their noble contribution and the remarkable progress of the Korea during the past 40 years will be better taught in Australian schools since they are the foundation for our future middle power cooperation. Ladies and gentlemen, Australia and Korea have enjoyed cooperative and friendly relations for over 60 years. Now it is about time for both countries to make sure that we have a strong share the vision for our future cooperation at the middle power in the Asia-Pacific region. I'd like to ask all of you Australians here today to think strategically and to contribute to promoting a better understanding of Korea and the importance of the Korea-Australia relationship in the years to come. Thank you very much. So I'd just like to um, yes, say what a privilege it is to have you here. Thank you very much for a very enlightening and interesting and pertinent talk. Um, certainly we do hear so much about China and um, to really provide us with an insight into the depth and the complexity and the um, importance of the bilateral relationship and the cooperation is really great to hear. And um, it's also for us at the gallery um, very heartening to hear your interest in wanting to develop more interpersonal relationships as well, which is something that we're very committed to. Um, we've been showing, exhibiting and collecting Korean art since the early 1990s and we'll continue to do so, wanting to build and develop that over time. So we're certainly wanting to do our part as well in terms of culture. And anyone who travels to, um, through Asia knows the significance of Korean music, film, television. Um, it's very important all through Asia and through the region. So um, something we'd love to talk to you more about. So on behalf of us all, the Griffith, Griffith Asia Institute and the Queensland Art Gallery, uh, I'd like to say thank you very much and um, hope to see you again. And a small gift 
as a token of our thanks. <laughs> For more Griffith University podcasts, go to www.griffith.edu.au forward slash podcasts.